in his book, Letting Go, A Spirituality of Subtraction, Richard Rohr observes that the spirituality that he encounters in underdeveloped nations, in countries like Africa and in Latin America, um, what he sees is a more stable, more secure, and therefore less anxious faith than he sees in developed nations. Rohr says that church-going folk in the first world, in first world countries seem capable, incapable of really grasping the good news, taking it into their hearts, standing with it and moving forward with it into lives of surrender, service, and silence. Roar observes that in developed nations, Christians seem louder about, but less secure in their faith seeking churches or pastors that will provide them reassurance, consolation, and affirmation without summoning growth or change. Or to use a more classically biblical word, repentance. That reading from Richard Rohr was part of my morning prayer routine this week. And if it makes you feel defensive or uncomfortable, I'm with you. That's exactly how I felt. But I've learned that when I feel defensive, it's a sign to explore that agitation, to consider how words like roars might be true. And so I reflect. Have I really grasped the good news? Am I taking it to heart? Am I living a life surrendered fully to Christ Jesus, a life of faithful service? Am I finding time to be silent and to listen for God? Or uh, to switch to 1 Corinthians 13:1 for a moment. Am I a noisy gong or a clashing cymbal? Today we are beginning a series which invites us into some deep thinking about our faith. It's a seven-week series uh, looking at a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Now in just a minute, I'm going to retract both of those statements <laughs> that Paul wrote the letter and that it was written, directed to the church in Ephesus, but hang with me. No matter what, this letter is a compact package which can equip us to understand and live our Christian faith. Our theme for the series is geared up for life because Ephesians seeks to ensure that our faith is not just an internal, personal thing, but that we would live out the faith that has claimed us. Let's listen to our reading from Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have the redemption, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people, to the praise of his glory. So I think the first uh, most obvious question, uh, given verses 1 and 2, is why I just said that this letter may not have been written by Paul and not directed to the church in Ephesus. Now, the, first, the second question is actually easier to answer. If you just look at the footnotes that are in your Bible, it's in the Pew Bibles, it should be in every Bible translation, because the footnote, I always encourage you to read the footnotes, or else you're going to miss something, and what it says, the footnotes say that other ancient authorities lack in Ephesus. And so the manuscripts, those manuscripts say, to the saints who are also faithful in Christ Jesus. So the words in Ephesus seem to be added later because our most, the earliest and most reliable manuscripts don't have those words. And, and this may indicate, and probably does indicate, that this letter was actually meant to be circulated among many churches throughout Asia Minor, including Ephesus, and, and Ephesus uh, and is in modern-day Turkey. Now, what about Paul's authorship? Among other things, scholars note that the language and the style and, and even the theology of Ephesians is, is distinctive when compared to other things that were more certain were written by Paul. For example, the writer of this letter suggests three different times in the letter that he does not know the audience that he's writing to firsthand. He says in these places that, that he has heard of them or that they have heard of him. But according to Acts, Paul was quite familiar with the Ephesians 
having conducted a three-year ministry in Ephesus, which is attested to in Acts. Additionally, and there's a lot of other factors, but uh, the Apostle Paul died around uh, the year 65. And so that meant, would have meant that this letter would have been written before he died, of course. But no early Christian leader mentions Ephesus, the le- I mean Ephesians, in any of their writings or their sermons uh, for, until about 30 years later in the year 95. Now, the idea that, that some letters of Paul may have been written by some unknown person is disturbing to some Christians. And, though I can see why people who really want to affirm biblical literalism do struggle, I can honestly say that this has never bothered me. First, we know that Paul often dictated his letters. So the author may be someone who knew Paul's thinking so well that they would not want to take credit for this themselves. Second, in the ancient world, it was not uncommon uh, for a writer to assume another person's name if the author's ideas were very similar to their own. Again, they wouldn't want to take the credit. And finally, just as we know that the book of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote that book. The author is unknown. Um, and, And yet, the early church included both Hebrews and Ephesians in the New Testament canon because it was widely accepted that this revealed Christian truth. And really, um, scholars think that what happened here is that Ephesians was meant to be a sort of compendium of Paul's ideas and his theology in this compact package that we have. Now, one of the things that makes Ephesians so different from from, uh, other Pauline letters is that uh, verse 3 is the beginning of a really lengthy and and very convoluted run-on sentence. Paul would have been tagged by any teacher. You know, that's a run-on sentence. Um, But Paul's sentences in his other letters are really a lot more precise. But in the Greek, the sentence that begins in verse 3 runs all the way through the end of verse 14. So that means that today's reading in the original Greek was two sentences. Uh, the first, verses 1 and, uh, and 2, and then verses 3 through 14. And I have an interlinear Greek New Testament uh, you know, that shows how this is. Now, after a brief greeting from, um, in verses 1 and 2, the author launches into this gushing proclamation. We already heard it in the New Revised Standard Version, but I just want to read uh, four verses of it, verses 3 through 6, from the message. The message is not a paraphrase. It's actually a translation from the original Greek and Hebrew. It's just uh, Eugene Peterson wanted to really try and make the the language more accessible to even younger readers and, uh, and more accessible maybe to all of us. And so this is what he writes. How blessed is God and what a blessing God is. 
He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before God laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long before he decided to adopt us, long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved son. That is just magnificent. So do you hear? You are blessed. You are chosen. You are claimed as part of God's family intended even before God laid the earth's foundation. What a striking declaration that makes clear that this good news is not about anything human beings have or even can accomplish. It's about God and what God has done in Jesus Christ. Now, I have to confess, and I, this if we're really honest and dig down deep, this goes against the grain uh, of what we normally think because we think that the church and our spiritual life, it's about our activity. It's about our feelings. It's about our preferences. It's about our choices. It's about our emotions. It's about our beliefs. But these verses... Paul is telling us all the assertions, not Paul, the author, all the assertions of what are about what God has done for us without regard to any activity on our part. This is why we baptize babies, folks. If we believe that it was God's plan before laying the foundations of the earth, then we know that God's love for us in Christ Jesus is our destiny. Long before sin and separation entered the picture, right? I mean, just think about the timeline. What we call original sin comes after God laid the foundations of the earth, right? And so this proclamation is that Jesus is not some sort of plan B fix. To what's gone wrong. The assertion here and in other places is that Jesus is plan A. Even when we were but a twinkle in God's eye, we were the focus of God's redeeming and reconciling love. Do you believe that? Do you believe that good news? Do you believe this for yourselves? Do you believe this about others? Can you surrender yourself to it? And not just yourself, others as well. There's a quote I read this week. It says, this passage offers a counter to the world's understanding of worth. It isn't merely that we are somehow special, but rather that we have been taken up into something extraordinary and offered this gift to receive on our own. 
like a pauper, invited to take the place of a prince or princess. We have been invited to share in the riches of God's grace. God has accomplished all this on our behalf through Christ so that we might live as God's own children. Near the end of our reading, in verse 13, there's this promise of sustenance, that we have been marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. And so the promise is not, one day you'll get this if you are really good and eat a diet low in fat and high in fiber. High in, high, I should say high in, high, low in fat, yeah, and high in fiber. No, the promise is something more like this. You have it. That presence is with you now. You can count on it. You can lean into it. You can trust that you are not alone as you live out the good news that you've been adopted and blessed. And you can live that out within and beyond the walls of the church. Now look, those of you who are theologically adept will notice that there's a theological tension here. Some read this passage as an argument for predestination, that some, not all, are chosen. And so the gospel is good news, but not for all people. Others suggest that when this passage affirms that God will gather up all things to himself, that includes all people. And so they interpret this passage as arguing for universal salvation. Karen Chikoyan uh, points out, if some are aware of their identity as God's children, this does not mean that others are not also God's children, only that some have been made aware of the mystery of God's will. Now, our, our heritage falls somewhere between these two, probably closer to, to the second, but not all the way into universal salvation, but pretty close, because we affirm the doctrine of prevenient grace. Prevenient, that word means goes before. So this is the grace that goes before us, right? Before the earth's foundations were laid. It is the grace that allows us to both receive and share God's love. Just as God's love for us precedes anything good or bad that we have done, this means that we who are aware of our identity as God's children are equipped, we are geared up to lead with love. One of the prayers that I've begun to pray regularly during my morning prayer time is a prayer that I'm certain that the author of Ephesians and Paul would join into without reservation. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love upon the hard wood of the cross that all might come within the reach of your life-liberating embrace. 
And so clothe us in your spirit that we too, reaching forth our hands in love, may bless even those who do not yet know you with an assurance that they are already loved by you to the honor of your name. That prayer, friends, it aligns with what Ephesians is expressing about the heart of God. And if we have really taken that good news to heart, if we are secure in this awareness, we can surrender ourselves and others to the mystery of the gospel by living lives that lead with love. Let's be in prayer. Holy God, we talk about unmerited grace and mercy. And yet, we begin to set up some conditions. Has has the person said the right prayer? Have they believed the right thing? Are we living in the fullness of what your scripture testifies to? And, And so we begin to erect these barriers, God, to your unmerited grace that was ours before the foundation of the world. And God, it's not just for us. We're usually setting up the barriers for someone else. God, that's not our business. So God, help us to lead with love. Trusting you will make all things right. That is the mystery of your salvation, that you've drawn near to us and we can draw near to you and let that be enough as we live lives of overflowing love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Welcome to today's St. Paul's Church of the Voyager podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Fiesler, and I am glad that you are listening today.